1: California passed the grim milestone of 1 million total confirmed coronavirus infections. The only other state to have that many cases is Texas. Meanwhile, tomorrow will start the new purple tier coronavirus restrictions for businesses in San Diego. Indoor operations for restaurants, gyms, and churches will have to close. In Ramona, the staff at Mama Ramona's restaurant is getting ready to close their dining room. Owner Andrew Simmons bought the Italian restaurant right before the pandemic hit. He says he will be complying with closure orders.
0: I would love to stay open, um, but
2: I don't think that the county will allow us and I can't afford to have my restaurant shut down. I have a, a, a you know fixed monthly expense every month, whether we're open or closed. And if I'm closed, you know, all my folks are out of jobs and I have no income coming in.
1: Elsewhere in Ramona, Peter San Nicolas of Ramona Fitness Center is one of many business owners who are weighing whether or not to comply with closure orders this weekend.
3: So we could close down and then possibly just go out of business. For a lot of people, that's what that's going to mean. Or you could stay open and yes, go against the orders and maybe still be put out of business. So what's the risk? We're going to we could possibly fail either way. So what do we have to lose?
1: Back in August, San Nicolas was charged by the district attorney's office for violating a different closure order, but those charges were later dropped. He's also joined other San Diego County gyms in a lawsuit against the state, arguing that restrictions are crippling his business.
3: I was getting to a point where, okay, if we get through this year and then we get through... We get through a good time of year with January, February, March, you know, like New Year's, people coming back. I'll be able to see, okay, are are we gonna be able to make it? Now, with this shutdown, I don't know, you know, uh, but I'm not gonna
1: quit. Business owners are planning another reopen San Diego rally outside the county building on Monday to again demand local control over coronavirus closures and restrictions. The Air and Space Museum is one of many that will be following public health orders. Museum president and CEO Jim Kidrick says he considered challenging the order to close. He says the museum follows the strictest COVID-19 guidelines, and he says the place has excellent air circulation with its high ceilings. He says the one-size-fits-all approach on what places must now close is unfair. Nevertheless, the museum will close again tomorrow night. It's Friday the 13th, Friday, November 13th. This is San Diego News Matters from KPBS News. I'm Annika Colbert. Stay with me for more of the local news you need to start your day. While San Diego County moved into the state's COVID-19 purple tier, Bay Area counties have moved in the opposite direction, into less restrictive yellow and orange tiers. KPBS investigative reporter Claire Trageser looked into the differences between these two regions. She says it comes down to timing, politics, demographics, and public health history. On March 16th, San Francisco Mayor London Breed had a press conference.
3: Her message that day shaped her city's future for months to come. Uh, The new public
2: health order that we're announcing will require San Franciscans to remain at home with exceptions only for essential
3: outings. The Bay Area was the first region in the state to issue a stay-at-home order, with the rest of the state following three days later, says John Swartzberg, an infectious disease expert at UC Berkeley.
2: Although those that number of days doesn't sound like a lot, uh, given how fast the pandemic was spreading, um, and, and it certainly helped a great deal.
3: San Francisco's initial response also set the tone for its stance on reopening. Elected officials, health officials, and residents all seem to understand the region would remain restrictive, says Aaron Alday, the San Francisco Chronicles health reporter.
0: Right from the start has been just really aggressive and really fast. So just, um, You know, anytime there's sort of the hint of things moving in the wrong direction, they they kind of respond to that and clamp down on it.
3: After two months with a statewide stay-at-home order, Governor Gavin Newsom started allowing counties to reopen businesses. Public health officials now largely view that as a mistake. The state began to see a surge in COVID-19 cases. Counties responded differently.
2: San Francisco did experience a summer surge. Um, it never really
0: blew up um, quite like it did in other places. And as soon as they sort of saw that happening, the city immediately halted its reopening, um, whereas many other counties kind of kept, kept pushing, kept moving forward.
3: San Diego was one of those counties. Public health officials allowed restaurants to reopen at limited capacity in late May, then salons and barber shops a week later, then gyms, hotels and bars two weeks after that. Supervisor Nathan Fletcher unsuccessfully advocated for a more restrained approach.
0: The minute we can possibly open things, we open things. They chose to be more cautious, and and by doing that, they have not lived on the precipice of open close.
3: Alday says the San Francisco region has another asset, its history with public health. The city was the epicenter of the AIDS epidemic in the United States in the 1980s, which established a robust public health response. She says it also established a trust between the community and public health officials.
2: You just don't get any of that kind of like, I don't
3: know,
0: is this real? uh, Do I trust what, what my leaders are saying?
3: Another possible reason San Francisco and Alameda counties have lower case counts is that inequality is more pronounced there than in San Diego County says Rebecca Fielding-Miller, an epidemiologist at UC San Diego.
1: So in some ways it comes back to housing prices, like most things do in San Diego. Like people who live, who are residents in those large counties, are people who can afford to live in those large counties, whereas their essential workforce is pushed off into other counties and has to commute in. At least across the county of San Diego, housing prices are diverse-ish enough that the the frontline workers, the people
3: who are really at the highest risk, also live in the same county. Despite its demographics, there is plenty San Diego County can control, she says. The county could adopt a more gradual strategy of reopening and further boost its outreach efforts in the South Bay and other parts of the county that are being hit hardest by COVID-19.
1: Meanwhile, the planet is still warming. Salk Institute researchers are looking at a widely grown grain as a possible remedy for climate change. KPBS reporter Eric Anderson has details.
2: San Diego researchers are looking at a number of plants that could absorb carbon from the atmosphere and store it in the ground. Carbon is a byproduct of fossil fuel consumption. More carbon in the air accelerates the warming of the planet's climate. Salk researcher Wolfgang Busch says agricultural plants like the grain sorghum could help if their genetic makeup is adjusted.
0: Increase the ability of sorghum to capture carbon and store it in the soil, but at the same time also uh, will make sorghum better in growing in drier and warmer environments.
2: San Diego-based Sempra Energy is funding the five-year, $2 million study. Sempra is an energy company with extensive natural gas assets.
1: Major financial losses at the Del Mar Fairgrounds have meant some changes to the state-owned property. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne has details.
2: The cancellation of the San Diego County Fair and large events due to COVID-19 has brought a 90% loss of forecasted earnings to the Del Mar Fairgrounds. This has forced large layoffs, leaving only about 15% of staff in charge of socially distanced events planned. Carlene Moore, interim CEO of the Del Mar Fairgrounds, said the San Diego County Fair is expected to make a comeback this summer with some changes. Little bit of that return to normal in terms of activity, just not necessarily return to normal in terms of crowds. The drive through Scream Zone was very successful, and they are excited to launch the Holidays in Your Car drive through Light Show beginning December 5th. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News.
1: Students from both sides of the border will take part in a diplomatic exercise using video games. KPBS reporter Max Rivlin-Nadler tells us how video games are now being used to promote empathy.
0: Mayan is a 25-year-old South Sudanese refugee who started his own video game company while still living in a refugee camp. Mayan will be a panelist at today's virtual event, co-hosted by the San Diego Diplomacy Council. He's seen personally how video games can bridge the distance between people with vastly different life experiences. You know, video game are the thing that we can use to create awareness, to help people understand empathy. We can use game to be able to bring in global communities together. Mayan has designed a game that helps players understand the challenges that refugees face while also raising money to support those in refugee camps. As part of the event, high school students in the U.S. and Mexico will play the video game Among Us, where they'll have to work collaboratively to solve a mystery.
1: It's Friday the 13th, so why not celebrate with a horror comedy set on that exact unlucky day? KPBS film critic Beth Accomando reviews the film Freaky, the latest from the director of Happy Death Day. The film opens today at the South Bay Drive-In.
3: Remember Freaky Friday where a mom and a daughter swap bodies? Well, since it's 2020, a year that seems particularly cursed, things are gonna be a little freakier. So now we have a serial killer and a teenage girl changing bodies. Guys, he's
0: here somewhere. He's wearing my body and he's wearing my face. He's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. And if we don't capture him first, God knows how many people he's gonna kill.
3: The chief joy of Freaky is Vince Vaughn as a bullied high school girl finding empowerment in the six-foot-five body of a deranged murderer. Writer-director Christopher Landon isn't as clever in sending up genre tropes here as he was in Happy Death Day. But Freaky makes a diverting Friday the 13th treat thanks to Vaughn's performance.
1: Coming up on the podcast, a conversation with the vice president of the San Diego Unified School Board. Now that Prop 15 really has been defeated, the ballot measure would have raised billions of dollars for schools by raising commercial property taxes. That interview next, just after this break. After over a week of ballot counting in California, it looks like State Proposition 15 really has been defeated, getting only 48% of the vote. That initiative would have raised property taxes on industrial and commercial properties worth over $3 million. It based their tax rate off of their current market value. Prop 15 was expected to raise billions of dollars for local governments and school districts. Richard Barrera is vice president of the San Diego Unified School Board. He spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh. Here's that interview.
2: Now, you were holding out hope that the final tallies would find Prop 15 had succeeded. What would that have meant for the district?
0: Well, it would have meant at full uh, implementation, which would have taken three years, it would have meant upwards of $70 million a year for our district, which would have really been significant. It would have allowed us to keep class sizes low, uh, to increase the number of counselors, nurses, um, increase professional development for teachers in our district. So it would have had a significant positive impact.
2: Now, was the district counting on that money to fill in the budget gaps caused by the pandemic and school shutdown?
0: No, you know, and, and so, you know, we've been clear that the issues, the fin- financial issues caused by the pandemic really have, have to be addressed by federal stimulus. You know, the federal government is the only entity that has the ability uh, to put the kind of resources back into our state government, into our schools that's necessary, you know, for us to get through this crisis. And, you know, we, as you know, most people around the country, we continue to be frustrated that um, we have yet to see action after the initial CARES Act you know package in the spring. Um, but we think that the current Congress should be able to work out an agreement. you know the federal government cannot just simply uh, you know fail to act um, because you know schools and state and local governments are going to see real crisis in the spring.
2: Richard, why do you think voters rejected prop 15? It's a measure that would have helped schools, and would not have raised taxes on most people.
0: Unfortunately, Maureen, what we saw is you know just a deluge of misleading uh, advertisement from the very you know large commercial property owners that you know would have seen their taxes go up and you know but go up to a level that would be equitable with what uh, other businesses and and residential property owners already pay. So, you know, they spent over $100 million. They made voters, I think, believe that residential property taxes were gonna go up or small business taxes were gonna go up, none of which was true. Early on, voters were supporting Prop 15, but the late voters that, you know, frankly, were more exposed, you know, to this kind of campaign of of misleading uh, statements, um, you know, tended to break the other way. What we also have to keep in mind, Maureen, is, you know, I think five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, the idea that we would have been able to do any reform of Prop 13 would have been considered impossible. And the fact that we got this close 48% of voters willing to make changes in Prop 13 precisely to support schools and community services it means that we're getting closer and closer. You know, this has been a battle that's been going on really for 42 years. Um, We think that, you know, eventually we will see reform of Prop 13 and we will see other measures, you know, statewide and locally uh, to put more money into public schools because voters understand how important it is that we invest again in our public schools.
2: Now, with help from the state and federal government still unknown, where do San Diego Unified's budget concerns stand now?
0: Well, you know, if, if we were not having to deal with the additional costs, you know, created by the pandemic, which are substantial, and, um, and if we weren't seeing the kind of, you know, projected decline in state revenue as a result of the economic downturn, you know, we would have been in, in, a, in a solid budget position. Um, But in this case, you know, with these dual challenges of reduced revenue at the state level and increased expenses, you know, Maureen, it is absolutely the case that we need to see significant federal investment. We are very encouraged by what we've seen and heard, you know, so far from President-elect Biden. We continue to be very hopeful that as California voters over the next few election cycles have the ability to consider measures that would increase revenue for public schools that, will, that we will be successful. I think we're about to enter a new era of investment in public education across the country, in California, and here in San Diego.
2: One district plan to reduce costs is to offer some teachers an incentive to retire. But as a Voice of San Diego reports, those retirements will occur before the winter semester is over. How are schools going to handle that?
0: Uh, an early retirement incentive always saves money for the district. But in this case, knowing that, you know, we have to be preparing, which we are, to bring our students back onto campus, that that can happen you know, in January. But we think that this is a good time as well, you know, to offer uh, to, to our staff. Look, if you just are not comfortable, you know, with the all of the adjustments that educators have had to make through this pandemic, we know that there are some people that just aren't comfortable with that transition. And um, offering the early retirement is a way. Um, you know, to allow those uh, educators, uh, you know, to, to go on, be rewarded for what they've done in their careers, but also offer opportunities to, you know, to newer, younger educators that are um, uh, ready uh, to, to meet, this, uh, meet this challenging moment.
2: You reference uh, San Diego Unified's phased-in plans to reopen schools. Now, San Diego County is right now in the purple tier, the state's yeah. most
0: restrictive COVID tier.
2: What does yeah. that do to San Diego's phased-in plans for reopening?
0: It it, it halts our phased-in uh, plan. So, what we have right now is we've got limited in-person instruction for our most vulnerable elementary school students but beyond that when we talk about uh, being able to bring back all of our elementary school students uh, and then all of our middle and high school students we will not be able to do that Maureen as long as San Diego County remains in this purple tier
2: So, are you revamping the plans in any way? Are you going to expand Phase One uh, and and yeah? So exactly. So
0: we are we are working right now to expand Phase One. Um, We've got. Uh, the most comprehensive health and safety uh, measures of any school district anywhere in the country.
1: That was Richard Barrera, vice president of the San Diego Unified School Board, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Cavanaugh. That's it for the podcast today. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.